we're going to slowly make our way through the book of First Peter. We're going to start in the first couple verses, and my theme for this morning is hope. And I'm giving it away right out of the bat because I want you to know my goal and my intention is to talk about hope and what hope means. Uh, my second sermon, which I've already begun to prepare, is going to be on holiness. And, and we're going to talk about what, how God is holy, why God is holy, and what that means. But our first one this morning is hope. And what does hope even mean? Why is hope such an integral part of the Christian faith? And what does it mean for us to understand hope? So let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to worship and to celebrate. Lord, we thank you for how you were ministering this morning. Lord, I, I sensed your presence was ministering in different places, and I sensed that different people were, were being prodded to, to do different things. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue that work. Lord, we ask that you would continue to move in powerful ways in our lives. Lord, as we talked this morning about hope, may it be something that is... Uh, insightful, may it also be encouraging, may it also be something that uh, causes us to think. And so, Lord, we'll trust that we continue to hear what you have to say through your servant, and we'll trust that you continue to speak in everything that we do and we say. And in your name we pray. Amen. I had hope that uh, that crazy groundhog was going to pop out of his hole, and he was going to say, no more winter. Okay, and then I looked outside and saw the four feet of snow, and I should have probably said, well, how can a groundhog even see his shadow in four feet of snow, let alone say that there's going to be less time of winter? Okay, so Mr. Groundhog and I have a little debate. I don't think Mr. Groundhog gets the idea of the fact that winter is not my favorite season, okay? So I had this hope that winter was going to be done and spring was going to be here. I had this hope. Okay, that's maybe a good example of hope. It's not a great example of hope. What's a great example of hope? Maybe you hoped for something great. Maybe you hoped for something to happen around the corner, a new job. Maybe you hoped for a new change in life. Maybe you hope for something, you fill in the blank. We all hope for things. We all have an anticipation, uh, an, an excitement, a looking forward to something that is beyond us. A hope. A hope that is something that is going to change. What does hope even mean? Well, this is what lovely dictionaries are for. Hope is to wait for, to trust in, to look for, or desire something or someone. It's a lot of words. Hope is to wait for, trust in, look for, or desire something or someone. Hope. Implied is hope is wait. An implication of hope is that you don't already have it. It's something that you're waiting for. Implied, is ho implied in hope is trust. It's something that you, not, you can't necessarily get yourself. 
It's something that you have to kind of have a level of anticipation and expectation and trust in something outside of yourself to provide. It's a longing for, it's a looking forward to. You don't hope for something bad. You hope for good things. You hope for your wedding date. You hope for the birth of your new child. You hope for exciting things. It's a desire in something or someone. You have hope for this or that or someone or something. These are all things that we hope for. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 12, is talking about hope. But it's a different hope than what I'm talking about. It's a hope that is living. It's a hope that is more impactful than my hope that spring was going to come faster and that Puxatawney Phil was not going to see his shadow. Let me read from verses 3 through 12. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me pause there for now. A living hope. A living hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade, which is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, the enemies thought he had won. The enemies thought that his victory was there. Finally, he had overcome Jesus. He had gained that victory that he had so long been waiting for. Jesus was dead and in the grave. And for three days, the enemy, in my mind, must be having a little party. Celebrating what he has thought is his victory. Celebrating that he has overcome our Lord. And on that third day, Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin and death once and for all. And in that moment, he took away the punishment of our sin. He gives us a living hope. A living hope, I think, is different than a hope that I had that something is going to happen in my life. 
a hope that we look forward to is different than this living hope. A living hope is something that can never be taken away. It's there for all eternity. It's been provided for. It's been given to us through the death and resurrection of Christ. But more than that, what does it say in verse 4? And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. One of the passages that probably has been uh, most impactful for me is the passage that says where we are to store up our treasures. It's one of the passages that I'm going to give you as your homework for this week. And my encouragement in having you read that passage is that you think about where it is we store up our treasures. See, when we store up our treasures here on earth, the Bible says very clearly that moth and rust and thieves can can come in and destroy these things that we store up. Many of you know the story of Laura and I when we were living in New York. We had a fire. We lost 75% of our unit. Those things that we had stored up were lost. When you lose things like that, it makes you realize what it is you're truly storing your treasures up for. And as devastating as that was to go through, when we, when we pulled back from that and thought about where we were storing up our treasures, we realized what we had lost here on earth was only minimal to what we were storing up in heaven. And so we are given an inheritance, it says here in verse 4, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it's kept in heaven for you. It says in Matthew, Store up your treasures in heaven where thieves may not break in and steal. For when we store up our treasures there, they're protected by God. They're not protected by us. They're not protected by our homes. But they're protected by our Heavenly Father. says in verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We often think about our trials and our tribulations, and how does that cover our hope? You know, I'm, we're going through a struggle, we're, we're, we're going along in life, and, and I go, I have this living hope, but how do I get through this trial and temptation with this living hope? And Peter covers that in this passage. He says in verse 6 and 7, he says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I was reading through uh, A.B. Simpson's uh, information on his, uh, 
his theology on this passage and was really thinking about what he was talking about. And, and he was, the first thing that he pointed out in this passage was two key words, little while. I thought that was interesting. I was thinking about what does that mean? And he drew the conclusion, and I think rightfully so, that although we go through these trials, which we're going to talk about in a moment, they are ultimately short. In the, in the length of eternity, in the time span of our lives, in the things that are going on, those trials and tribulations seem so great, but in fact they are actually so small. Because they are so short for just a little while. And I was drawn to what A.B. Simpson was writing there. And it was something that when I was reading through had caught my eye. And I didn't know exactly how to bring that to your attention. And, and so when I was looking at what he said, I was so blown away by such a, two little words. Little while. No matter how long or how difficult or whatever it is you are going through, no matter how it feels, no matter how insurmountable it may feel at the time, no matter what you may be going through, it's only there for a short while. There are trials, yes. I can't stand up here and say that your life is going to be easy. Because if I did, I think you ought to run me out the back door. <laughs> the reality is, our life is not easy sometimes. There's struggles. There's trials and temptations. It says here, Peter says... In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All kinds of trials. One of the great things about teaching the training ground class of, on emotional healing is uh, Peter Scazzaro, or as most people call him, Pete Scazzaro, uh, he talks about the fact that as we go through trials and temptations, we have two options. He talks about going through the wall, journeying through the wall. If you're in my class, you kind of have a little bit of an idea of the direction I'm going, but if you're not, this will be uh, some good information for you. And, and Pete talks about when we hit that wall of that trial and temptation in our lives, we have a choice. We have an option when we hit that wall. We can choose to either trust in God, pray, seek Him first, and by his power, we'll make it through. Or, we can try to do it ourselves. And as Pete would say, and argue, and I would argue the same, doing it on your own is a whole lot like work. And it is not easily done. You might be able to eventually push through that wall, but I promise you, it will be a whole lot more difficult than if you had just reached out in the first place and said, God, help me through this wall. Help me overcome this trial. 
Now, that doesn't mean that God is going to take that trial away. He may allow you to go through it. He may give you grace as you go through it. There may be other times where he does completely lift the wall and say, go through. But the walls are there for a purpose. It says that in verse 7. They are there to grow our faith. To refine our faith so that it could be worth greater than gold. So that it would survive through a fire even more greatly than fire does. Or than a gold does to a fire. I don't know, uh, I've, I've always, I think all of us are, but maybe not. Uh, maybe I shouldn't overgeneralize, but I think all of us uh, have, ha- have a fascination with gold. I don't know why. I think, I think there's just something about it that, that draws us to it. it. It makes us crave it. I think that for most of us, we're kind of interested by it. Uh, and there's all sorts of great TV shows that have made tons and tons of money off of going out and trying to find gold. And I'm not going to in any way recommend any of them for you because like most shows that are on, it's probably not always the best thing. And these guys are a bit rough around the edges. So what they say out of their mouths is probably not the best thing most of the time. But what I can say is the joy that they get finding and pulling out of the ground little bits of gold blows me away. When they do that panning, they go through a lot of yardage. I don't know how much you know about gold mining, but it's a lot of work. A lot of work for very little payoff. I mean, they talk about good, good pay dirt being maybe worth $12 for 1,000 yards. So you're talking, you're running 1,000 yards for maybe $12. So you have to run a ton, ton of pay dirt just to get a little bit of gold. But in the long run, if these guys can make it work and run and run and run and run and run, and at the end of the week they can come up with 100 ounces of gold, it's worth it. But our faith is greater than that gold. See, that gold that they get isn't pure gold. It's probably, you know, 60 to 80%. If it's been really, really good gold, maybe a little higher. But you know what they have to do next? They have to take it to somebody who will melt it down. They showed that process at the, the other day when I was watching one of these shows, and there's a lot of stuff that gets burned off in that fire. The guy brought in probably about 100 ounces of gold. And by the time he had it all melted down and burned down, he had a little gold bar, probably about 85 ounces worth that he could now sell or use to barter for more equipment or for more land. But you lose 15 to 20% just in Useless material. Just junk. It's worthless. 
So when we go through trials and tribulations, it's like that fire burning off all that excess material in our lives. And what comes out on the other side is pure gold. When he held up that little gold bar, worth probably about $150,000, all that effort that they had put in was seen. You know, the toughest thing about putting in all this effort here on earth with our faith is we don't often see the payoff right away. Unlike gold mining where at the end of the week you go out and you you clean off all the material and you pull out all the gold and you go, all right, we had a really, really good week. There's some weeks where our faith, I don't think we see the results right away. We don't see the seeds that we've planted in other people's lives coming up just yet. We don't see how God is growing us right away. It's oftentimes perspective when we look back over months of our lives and go, well, now I see what God was doing. Okay, now I understand why I had to go through that process and be matured and grow in faith. And my hope is that as we continue to grow and become more like Christ, we will see more and more of that pure faith on the other side. What greater result than to see more of our faith grow more and more. It says, so that, from verse 7, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an impressible or an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I hope you're filled with joy. I hope that you're filled with this glorious and inexpressible joy. I don't know if it was two weeks ago, but we talked about the difference between joy and happiness. And so I'm not going not gonna to reiterate and talk about that as much this morning because we already talked about that. But the reality is, is that that joy that is within inside of us ought to be glorious and inexpressible in a manner that when it does come out, it fills our lives. For we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Why are there trials? The trials are there so that we can show that our faith is genuine. Why are we put through the fire? To show that what we truly believe is really what we believe. Why do they have to take that hundred ounces of gold and run it through a really, really hot fire? to burn off the material that's not gold. What is our promise? What is our promise? For those gold miners, the promise is money. It's all that matters to them. 
It's all they care about is the money. To them, that's the top dollar. Bring home more money so that they can make money. Why do we grow our faith? Why do we allow ourselves to be refined? I mean, it'd be a whole lot easier to skip those walls and to say, I'm done. I quit. I want to walk away. Why do we push through those walls? Why do we allow our faith to be refined? Why do we allow ourselves to go through these trials and tribulations continually and not quit? For we know that there is a promise in our next, in what it says here next. For we know that God is preparing a place for us. We know that he has gone on before us. We know that he is preparing a place for us to be with him. So we live out our lives in a manner that we go through these walls. What did it say? I I skipped over this so that I could come back to it in verse 7. It says, So that our faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When we see Jesus Christ again, we'll be at his second coming or at our own death, whichever comes first. And so what we will have worked through, that process that we will have gone through, will have been worth it in the end. We'll see ourselves going before the throne of the Heavenly Father, and he will say, well done, my faithful servant. You have made it through. And those things that we have done will be part of our heavenly inheritance. That is our hope. That is our living hope. We have our hope, which is in Christ. We have a hope of an eternal salvation. We have a hope that Christ is continuing to perfect in us that which makes us more like him. We have this living hope. Hope is waiting for, trusting in, looking for, or desiring something or someone. I truly believe that if our hope is not in Jesus Christ, it is misplaced. If our hope is in earthly things, if our hope is in our job, in our family, in our car, in our whatever it is, it's misplaced. But our true hope is in Christ. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one that our hope should be in. He is the one to whom we cry out. He is the one to whom, when we're in the pits, we reach up and we say, God, I have hope in you. Where's your hope? My challenge for you is not from First Peter, but it's from Titus. And it's important enough that I went away from my passage this morning to draw you to this, and this is one of uh, your uh, 
homework also this week, one of the passages for you to read this week. Because this is my hope. This is my glorious hope. Let me read to you the passage that you're going to read this week. I'm going to have you read from verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. I know I'm preaching on First Peter, but this passage from Titus is huge. This is crucial for our hope. This is crucial for what I'm talking about. This is why I'm giving it to you as your homework to read this week. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It gives us specific commands of what to do in this passage. What we are not to do and what we are to do. It says no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Yes to self-control. Yes to upright. Yes to godly lives in this present age. Why do we live our lives in a manner like this? We do this because of our blessed hope. We do this because we have a blessed hope. What is that blessed hope? If you take anything away from this morning's message, and I hope there's several things that have been impactful for you, but this is my, the crux of what I'm trying to tell you this morning. This passage right here, our blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who what? gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify, again that word purify, talking about refining our faith, purify us for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That is our purpose. That is why we are here. And that is our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. Your homework for this week is a couple of di- or a few different passages from uh, Matthew 6 verses 19 through 24 on Monday. It's talking about where you store up your treasures. This is the passage talking about what it is you're doing with your life. Tuesday, Isaiah chapter 40 verses 21 through 31. 
the key in that passage is the last couple of verses, about the last eight verses. But I want to give you all 11 so that you could have the context as I, the prophet Isaiah is leading into talking about this hope that he hasn't seen yet, but is coming. It's crucial that you understand that. Then Wednesday, I want you to read again from our passage here this morning, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 12. Then on Thursday, you're going to be reading Titus 2, 11 through 15. That's a passage I just read for you this morning. That's huge. Very important, that passage. Friday is Psalm 62, and Saturday is Psalm 33. They're short psalms, not real long. You should be able to read them in one setting. I think they're about 8 and 10 verses, respectively. You should be able to read those in one setting. They talk about David and his hope for what God is going to do in his own life. And David has some serious struggles I mean, if you know the story of David, David has some times where he has some points where he could certainly not be hopeful. His own son tries to kill him. He loses a son because of his own sin. He has a plague because he failed to listen to what God says, for th- and this plague happens for three days. I mean, David is certainly a guy who could have had some places where he didn't have hope. But yet he writes about this hope. My challenge to you as you go out today is to remember from Titus 2 verses 11 through 15 what our blessed hope is. If you don't know what that blessed hope is, or if you haven't realized that blessed hope, please come and talk to me. I would love nothing greater than to share what that blessed hope truly means. Because that's what we look forward to. That's why we persevere in this present age through the trials and temptations and afflictions that come against us. Because we know we have a blessed hope. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, speak to us through your word. Lord, may we we hear your word and may it not fall on deaf ears. Lord, may this blessed hope that you, you share in your word be real within us. Lord, may it be ever present in what we do and what we say. And Lord, as we, as we talk to others, may they see a difference in our lives because we have this blessed hope. The world does not have this blessed hope. Lord, they are without hope of anything. So Lord, as we share this blessed hope with those who are around, may it be evident in our actions, in our words, and in everything that we do and we say. In your name we pray.